Hey guys, we're so glad you're tuning in. We hope this podcast brings some hope, life and good news to whatever is happening in your life right now. Remember that you can be a part of the conversation by emailing youth at stmarks.ie and telling us what topics you'd like discussed. Until then, we hope you enjoy. Well, hey guys, you're so welcome to episode two of the Good News Guide. We hope you're keeping well in these crazy times and we hope that this podcast will be of some benefit to you in your life. Today's topic is science and faith and we want to remind you that you can connect with us by emailing youth at stmarks.ie because we want you to be able to decide the topics as we head into the future. You can also connect with us by following us on Instagram, St. Mark's City Youth, and we would love to hear from you. I'm excited about today's episode because we're joined by three very special guests, but most importantly, I'm joined by a very special co-host, Danny Valley. Danny, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. How's life been the past couple of weeks for you? I mean, it's not too bad. I mean, staying at home, (laughs) but doing your schoolwork, going outside, just doing some workouts in the garden, but nothing much to do. (laughs) And are you getting up at a normal time or are you sleeping until a crazy time these days? I think I have to get up at like nine because I get assignments due, so I don't really have a choice. (laughs) Oh, wow. And are you doing online classes or what's happening in there? Yeah, so I get like at least seven assignments per day. It's just like working a normal school day, but at home. But you get to choose when you want to do it, but it's due at a certain time. So it's just school days. That sounds more like college than school. No, I'm not. It's this simple, though. You're getting ready for the big leagues. You're getting ready for the big leagues. Well, Danny, obviously, we're joined by two very special guests today. We're joined by Dr. Peter Taylor and Jack Lawless. Dr. Peter Taylor, how are you? I'm going to take the doctor out and call you Peter. Peter, how are you? How are you keeping? What's life been like for you the past couple of weeks? Yeah pretty good we can do it at the doctor that's right um, and <laughs> yeah, life has been okay for me i i i'm not really very outgoing anyway so i haven't really noticed too much the the lockdown uh i'd say the thing i miss most is just good coffee you know to go out and get yeah. a good coffee that's that's the thing do you have any coffee about. machine in your house or anything like that or are you into the instant stuff these days I do, yeah no, I, I have a coffee machine in the house i have one of those nespresso machines but like i'm talking I like I like good coffee, you know. I like Yeah, I'm with you. I'm like with you. Let me tell you the shame of my life. My shame is that I have an espresso machine located directly next to my bed so that I wake up in the morning and I hit the button and I take the coffee, I go back to sleep, and by the time I wake up fifteen minutes later, it's kicked into my system <laughs> and that's how I start my day every day. So I had to order fifty pods because I ran out of them too fast. <laughs> you put a lot of thought into that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, there's a strategy behind the start of my day. It has to be very meticulous. And we're also joined by the legend who is Jack C. Lawless. Jack Lawless, how are you keeping? Josh, how's things? I'm keeping great, yeah. Keeping well. Thanks for having me. And you're still working away, aren't you? Yeah, still working away. Yeah, kind of uh, kind of splitting it between home and going in a few days to the, uh, the office as well in the lab. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a nice mix. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's at different times, but I'm enjoying it, adjusting to it as it goes. But, uh, yeah, all good, thankfully. Good, good, good. Well, obviously, guys, today we're discussing science and faith. And I want to give a disclaimer to all of our listeners. We don't have all the answers. And this is quite a wide variety topic. So we're not going to be able to touch every question and hit every question on the head today. But really, the the concept and the idea behind this episode of the Good News Guide is that we want you as young believers to question why you believe certain things, to learn how to communicate with people who maybe have different opinions to you. And then... I'm going to ask Peter, first of all, Peter, what's, 
what's your story? What, how does faith and science tie into your life? And the same for yourself, Jack, and then I'm going to pass it over to Danny and we're going to get into today's topic. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I guess they're both uh, very uh, intricate parts of my, uh, my essential day-to-day life because I am a scientist by trade. Uh, so I'm a theoretical physicist, uh, which means I spend my life lecturing physics and maths to undergrad students at DCU. Uh, and then I, I spend the other part of that job uh, researching, which basically means writing uh, peer-reviewed academic papers on, on topics like black holes and astrophysics and fascinating things like that. Uh, so, you know, my, my day-to-day life is absorbed, my, absorbed by science, but then I'm also a person of faith. So my day-to-day life is also uh, built on this worldview, this framework that I uh, believe in the God of the Bible. I believe that Jesus is who he says he is um, and all of the things that come with that. Um, so yeah, my, my, my worldview is very much built on a biblical framework. And as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's completely um, consistent with the fact that I'm a scientist and I'm a working scientist. So as far as I'm concerned, there's no contradiction, but I'm sure we'll get into that in a little bit. But uh, yeah, that's a little bit of my background. Amazing. And Jack, the same question to you. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself, how faith and your science background and the background of you pursuing knowledge has tied in together throughout your life. Yeah, I mean, I suppose similar to Peter in some ways. um, I studied uh, general science and specialized in uh, molecular medicine in college and I'm kind of doing a master's now as well but I'm a full-time scientist as well uh, my job title would be an analytical scientist uh, I work in a lab a lot of the time for a pharmaceutical company so kind of uh, doing different analyses on different um, immunotherapy drugs or cancer drugs and um, so it's uh yeah it's really interesting so yeah like Peter my personal faith as well I became a Christian when I was about 18 years old uh, just starting out in college, I mean, I was familiar with the concept of God growing up. Um, my mother is a born-again Christian. I suppose I never fully engaged with that idea. I never felt I uh, fully took it on board. So I suppose it wasn't until I left school and I was kind of looking for something that bit bigger uh, when kind of just uh, the kind of day-to-day mysteries of life just kind of seemed a bit open-ended for me. So I started looking for some answers and questions and some guidance. And that's when I kind of started going to church when I was 18. So my, my journey of faith very much coincided with my education in science, which is a really unique journey. Uh, They they both kind of uh, co-developed, I suppose. I became more mature as a Christian as I was kind of maturing as a scientist as well. And that's continued to be the case. Um, just learning more and more about my faith as I, as I progress through life, as I'm sure the, the guys will attest to as well. So yeah, like Peter, I, I believe in the God of the Bible. I believe Jesus uh, came to earth uh, and rose again. And he's kind of set us free to live a life of freedom here on earth. And I, I still yeah. retain that passion for science. And I, I don't really see a contradiction. If anything, I think they're um, uh, very, very compatible. And indeed, I think science would almost compel you to believing in a creator. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. And Danny, obviously you're co-hosting with me today. I'd actually probably say I'm co-hosting with you because I'm going to be handing most of this episode across to yourself. But Danny, tell us a reason that you find it important for you to pursue knowledge and also explore your faith at the same time. I feel like when when you're at this age, when you're 17 or when you're a teenager, you're being like thrown up with all these kind of things, these informations, especially from school, because your teachers are telling you all these things and you're expected to believe it. 
I mean, it's understandable, but as well as depending on your background. So um, my family is very Christian. So I'm getting all of this information about my faith and how to be a good person, follow the morality rules. But then again, when I go to school, um, in my school, religion isn't a huge thing, but education is the main thing. And I love science. It's like my favorite uh, subject. I do chemistry, I do biology. But then I also wonder how science and Christianity can get together. Like, how can they, um, can they do they contradict with each other? So that's like one mm. of the main questions that goes around in my head. Yeah. And I think it's a great question. Obviously, you've heard both Peter and Jack say that they don't see that there's a contradiction. But I think it's important that we get into the question. So, Danny, I'm going to pass it over to yourself. And we're going to get into this topic of science, faith, morality, philosophy. There's a whole variety of things we're going to try our very best to cover today. Kind of an impossible task if we're honest with ourselves, but we're going to try to do our best. So, Danny, I'm going to pass it over to you and get you to start with the questions of both Peter and Jack. Cool. So, like, one of the questions that... Um, many youth people who are especially into their faith is why do you think it's important to develop our minds as Christians? Yeah, good question. Um, I guess from my own personal experience, uh, I would say that for me, it has formed a very important defense against other arguments. So I, I think it's, and, and by the way, this is this is not something new. I mean, if you go back, if you go back a hundred years ago, most of the best scientists in the world were Christians. They were people of faith. In fact, it was their it was their faith in a God who designed and ordered the universe that compelled them to search for the laws of nature. So they really understood that developing their mind was part of developing their faith. That that these weren't separate things. In, in a sense, developing your mind is, um, I guess, refining a gift that God gave you and therefore is itself an act of worship. And, and so I think it's essentially important and, it, and it's an essential part of, of my worship of God is developing my mind because that's a gift he gave me and I love that he gave it to me. And it's one of the, like yourself, Danny, I'm also fascinated by science. And so when you have a passion for something, you pursue it, but you, you, uh, you pursue it from your place in Christ. And, and, and that's, that's kind of a guiding principle for how you pursue it. Um, but I, I think we're in a, I think we're in a time where we've had, I guess about a hundred years or so of, of what we now call Pentecostal or charismatic Christianity and that movement has, has been amazing for so many things and for so many reasons. But one of the things it has been weak on is developing the mind. And one of the things it has been weak on is, uh, I guess, developing a sound core theology. Um, just because the emphasis was on other things in that movement. And, and so I think you have a generation of evangelicals at the moment who have not considered it important to develop their mind and who are particularly susceptible, especially when they go to third level education, uh, to arguments that are cr contrary to the position they held uh, in their families when they, were, when they were brought up. So I think it's just a really, really important defense mechanism would be my main, my main reason. Yeah, and I, I definitely agree with Peter on that one. Um, a quote that came into my mind as Peter was talking, I think it was, it might've been C.S. Lewis saying, uh, 
men expected, uh, I suppose, men studied science because they expected law in nature and they expected law in nature because they believed in a law giver. So I thought that was a really interesting way to sum it up. Peter's right. Some of the great scientists were um, were indeed uh, Christians. Um, and I suppose the whole concept of God uh, like creating the universe to begin with and him also creating our mind, there's a really nice kind of link there. You know, it's kind of like, it's, it's an amazing link. In fact, like the same God we would believe fashioned the universe as fashioned our minds. Therefore, it kind of makes... It almost makes perfect sense that we would be, um, you know, given that we're created in God's image, have the ability to do science. But uh, I have to agree, like, it, it's, it's an exciting topic, science. You know, it's, I find it absolutely fascinating. And the more I study the, the immune system, and I know Peter is obviously talking about, he'll be talking more about the universe, the, the amazing complexity of the universe. But the more I get into the, the intricacies of biology, uh, I have to say it's, it just blows you away. So I think that the fact that we're here, we can do science is an indicator that God um, really does think it's important to use our mind. And in fact, it does say it in the gospels as well, you know, love the Lord, your God with all your, uh, your spirit, your soul, your, and your mind is at the very end of that. So it's definitely not neglected and shouldn't be neglected. Um, and I suppose the, the uniqueness of humanity is, is this amazing uh, mind we have you know uh, when we talk about science that is one of the things that really sets us apart from all other creatures on earth is this incredible um, mind that can even understand the universe and ask questions and even ask questions of faith you know that sort of way it would be a very simplistic faith i suppose if we didn't have a complex mind too you know that sort of way there's that kind of there's that kind of interaction going on there so, I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because the the Bible, I'd say a lot of people who haven't read it or maybe haven't had any experience with it would say that it discourages the pursuit of knowledge. When you even look at a book in the Bible, Proverbs, it's basically directed completely at wisdom. And it's interesting that there's a whole book that's dedicated to wisdom and growing in wisdom and growing in knowledge. Do you have any thoughts on that, Peter? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess just, just coming back to what Jack was getting at there, that that's one of the things that makes humans unique is our ability to reason and that we are the only life forms on earth who can, uh, who can reason, who can reason abstractly. So we're, and as far as we know, we're the only, we're the only form of life in the entire universe that can compensate the fact that we're the only form of life in the entire universe. And in, in that we, we actually have the ability to reason about our own existence and, and to reason philosophically and abstractly. And we're the only life forms, as far as we know, that can do that. And, and as far as I'm concerned, that must have something to do with the fact that we are created in the image of God. In other words, we reason because God reasons. And, and, and that's a good reason to reason. Um, and I, I think that's, you know, there's lots of, like modern Christianity often focuses on, oftentimes, if I'm being a little critical of, oftentimes focuses on on more emotional aspects of the of the faith and maybe almost romantic aspects of the faith but there there are plenty of life forms out there that can emote i mean a, a dog has emotions but a dog can't reason so you know what one could one could have a thesis that it is our ability to reason that defines the fact that we're made in the image of god that that is the thing that makes us in the image of god um, 
So, and I, you know, you could make a compelling case for that. And that, that, and I, that's another reason why it shouldn't be neglected. You know, it is their unique gift. And, and I think, I think, yeah, and I think the case has been made, Peter, if I'm right, that, you know, many of the great Christian thinkers actually, I, I'm not sure, was it, was it Augustine or maybe, uh, it could have been Calvin either. And they, they kind of tackled that idea that, you know, the image of God actually uh, might be specifically referring to that ability of humans, you know, that exceptional nature of their amazing mind, you know, that, so, so in other words, some biblical scholars and great people of the faith have actually took that approach, that very approach that is the, if we were to literally read that, uh, like Imago Dei, the image of God, that, that that's one of the things people have put forward as what the Bible might be saying, which is just interesting, you know, whether, whether that's exactly it or not, but it definitely is very interesting. Yeah. And I think, you know, one question that a lot of people would have, I'm sure all of us on this panel have had, and a lot of our listeners would have is, yes, life is here. We have questions, we have doubts, but where did this all come from? Where did this all start from? Did it come from a big bang? Did it come from a creator? Was it created in seven days? And Danny has a couple of questions there in regard to that particular topic that he wants to ask us. So Danny, off to yourself. So like we've, so loads of religions have their own creation story. And scientists do have their own creation story called the Big Bang Theory. So from your perspective, does the Big Bang contradict Genesis 1 at all? Uh, no, absolutely not. Um, so there's, there's a lot of misconceptions about what the Big Bang is saying amongst, uh, amongst Christians in particular. So uh, first of all, this, this, the, the most simple version of what the Big Bang is really saying is the universe had a beginning. It is, it is not saying anything more than that, really. Um, in fact, it's not, even, it's not even exactly saying that. Uh, what, the, the idea about the, about the Big Bang is the following. We know, we know at the present that the universe is expanding. And we know that because we can observe, for example, galaxies uh, receding apart from each other. Okay, so you can ob- this was observed in the, in the early 20th century by... Um, by Hubble, um, and then we have all this other other data as well from things like the uh, CMB and Planck uh, telescope, um, so we know very accurately that the galaxies are receding from each other. And so, as you move forward in time, everything is getting further and further apart. And so, it follows by reason then that if you run the clock backwards, if you move back in time, everything is getting closer and closer together. In other words, as you go back in time, the universe is contracting. And uh, if you follow it back close enough, any, observ- any observable patch of our universe um, would exist at a single point in the past. And that single point is what we call the Big Bang. And that is the beginning of everything. So, and I don't, I don't just mean that it's, uh, I don't just mean that it's the beginning of things like stars and galaxies. I mean, it's the beginning of space and time itself. So the Big Bang is really just saying that the universe had a beginning. Now, that's precisely what Genesis 1 also says. In fact, when, when scientists really uh, confirmed um, the, the notion of uh, this kind of Big Bang idea, this Big Bang concept, it was controversial because scientists realized that it confirmed the Christian idea of creation. That's why it was controversial. 
So back in the 60s, for example, that we, we um, detected some what's called a cosmic microwave background radiation. And uh, this is basically some thermal radiation that's left over from the Big Bang. And some scientists, Penzias and Wilson, uh, detected this radiation and the temperature of it, of it agreed with uh, Big Bang cosmology, with the Big Bang model of the universe. They ended up winning the Nobel Prize. So this was the 60s. So this, this basically put to death the idea that the universe existed forever, which was actually the popular idea up until that point. And that, that was called uh, you know, the steady state theory, that the universe existed forever. And, and once scientists realized that actually the universe had a beginning, that presented a massive problem for the atheistic perspective on the universe. And bec because they, they held to an eternal universe picture in particular. Because if you have an eternal universe, you don't have to have a creator. But once the universe had a beginning, you have to have a creator logically. I mean, I'm not, this is, this is just logic, okay? So if you take, so there's a, there's a fundamental principle of uh, metaphysics that says anything that begins to exist must have a cause. The consensus among all scientists is that the universe began to exist. And therefore, the logical conclusion is that it must have had a cause. Now, because what began to exist was space and time, the cause has to be spaceless and timeless. In other words, the cause couldn't have been physical, right? The cause has to be something not physical. We would call that spiritual. Because, uh, because the beginning gave rise to things like uh, people, that would mean that the cause has to be a personhood, right? Because the universe contains personalities, the cause had to be personhood. Uh, because the universe is so vast and so big and so amazing, the cause has to be immensely powerful um, and immensely vast. So you put all of these things together and you get positive evidence from science that the universe had a timeless, spaceless, infinite personhood who created the universe. Now, we call that God. Now, everything I've said to you there logically follows just from the fact that the universe had a beginning. Mm. And science really, really, really confirms that the universe had a beginning. And it's worth yeah, it. It's I think worth that's it. a great thing. Go ahead, Jack. I'm just saying it's, it's, it's probably worth emphasizing for the listeners as well. Like if you, if you roll back the clock before these discoveries, you know, God, there was a very good grounds for the, the scientists to say, there doesn't need to be a God here, you know, because just to hone in on that point from Peter that the universe was eternal. So everything always existed. So, you know what I mean? It's really worth hammering that home. So there was actually some evidence of, uh, I think the editor of Nature at the time, actually, which is a huge scientific journal, probably the most uh, prestigious scientific journal. I think his name was John Maddox. I think it was. He actually tried to actively suppress the science uh, of, of which Peter's talking about right now, when they discovered this uh, microwave radiation, he, he, he said, no, this, this can't be put out there because this will, <laughs> this will play into the, 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 the story of the Christians. So it's just a really interesting backstory as well. Like it's, it's, I mean, it, it changed the game, to be honest. It absolutely changed the game because all of a sudden they're like, oh, oh crap. We have to explain now how did the universe get going? Like that's and it's one of the most powerful arguments, as Peter said, for God's existence. You know, it's a real, it's a real problem because, 
Peter spelled it out there, but even if you think about it, how can something just pop into existence? You know, like, you know, 50 euros doesn't just pop into my hand. So it's the same, the same analogy here, you know, it just doesn't just pop up out of nothing, like, you know, that sort of way. So, I mean, it's, it's amazing. And then that side story of the, the scientists trying to suppress it for, you know, stopping Christianity getting going, that's a side story that, you know, that's, we see stuff like that happening all the time, but you know, it, it really is worth emphasizing how powerful of a discovery this was. You know, it's there's a bunch of there's a bunch of Soviet scientists who were also trying to um, explain away um, this discovery of the cosmic microwave background radiation for exactly the same reason, Jack. Because you're talking about like deep into the Cold War in the '60s, and uh, you had the Soviet regime that was very anti-religious um, uh, and anti-theistic. A lot of them, so you had a lot of Soviet scientists also trying to suppress and explain away these ideas. Uh, because of the Christian implication, because of um, the religious uh, implication or the theistic implication of what this scientific discovery meant. Um, but if, if you accept, uh, the, I mean, the bottom line is if you accept that the universe had a beginning, and like I said, most scientists do, you, you, you have to conclude that it had a cause. Like there's no getting around that because, like Jack mm. said, if you, if the only way to deny that is to deny the premise that anything that begins to exist must have a cause. In other words, if you deny that logical conclusion, you are believing that anything can pop into existence out of nothing, right? And that that just doesn't happen. It's I mean, in fact, you couldn't do science if you believed that was true. What would be the point if of trying to model something like a weather system? if you believed that uh, a thousand hippos were just going to pop out of nothing and fall out of a cloud, of course that's not going to happen because that's not how the universe works. It's a basic principle of metaphysics. It's, it's, it's even more basic than anything scientific and um, that anything that begins to exist must have a cause. Um, yeah. And I think I'm going to ask Peter, I'm going to ask you one question and then I'm going to ask Jack another question and pass it off to Danny for the rest. But one thing that you often hear is the argument for Darwin's theory of evolution and mm-hmm. what is evolution and does evolution contradict what the Bible says? Now, one thing that I would say is you're probably going to hear the word argument brought up a lot in this. And sometimes this topic can bring up arguments, can't it, Jack? And there's a kind of process that we can, as Christians, talk about faith and talk about science and knowledge at the same time. So Jack, my first question is for Peter. Peter, does the process of evolution contradict the bible and how does that work together and jack how can we approach this topic and this discussion in a way that represents our relationship with jesus and follows his example of love above all else uh i would say my my honest answer is i don't really know if it contradicts the bible i i have a sense that it is it is difficult to hold them both in certain areas. Uh, like it, it creates, it creates problems for things like the origin of sin. You know, what is the moment in time when something like that happens? If species are constantly evolving and there's a certain, we have to believe that at a certain point, somebody is sentient enough to understand that there exists something, this thing called sin. So it's really it's really difficult to explain things like the origin of sin. It's also difficult to explain things like the inherent dignity of man being made in the image of God from that perspective. So I 
I have some some very strong theological reservations about the the evolutionary paradigm, uh, but but also I have some very so strong scientific reservations about the evolutionary paradigm, and um, so I, I I find it difficult. Uh, like the scientist in me finds it difficult to believe that the kind of genetic information that is required to sustain life can come from nothing. Um, and I think that's, that's the biggest problem with, with the evolutionary picture actually is probably even more than the theological one, because I think, I think it's harder to, um, it's harder to definitively pin down what the theological arguments or the theological contradiction might be, but I, I find that I can articulate much better my scientific reservations with the evolutionary picture. Uh, so maybe just to, to, to put, a bit of, put a bit of flesh and bone on, on it. So, so the, the essential problem, like I said, is information. Uh, so we now know something that Darwin didn't know when he postulated his theory, and that's that uh, inside every cell in our body, there is written an immensely complicated code, more complicated than any software system on any computer created by man. And that, that, that is in our genome, in our, in our, in our um, DNA. Uh, so our DNA contains, well, the human DNA contains, I think it's something like something of the order of uh, 3 billion characters of code, 3 billion characters and sequenced in a very, 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 very specific way. In other words, you change the sequence, you kill, you kill the organism. Um, and that information has to come from somewhere. We don't know, you know, it, it, is, a, it is a matter of uh, everyday experience that complex information like this only comes from, uh, from intelligence, only comes from an intelligent mind. You know, there's no, there's no way that this kind of complex information can come from chance. So for example, uh, you know, you pick up a, a Scrabble box full of all of these letters and you, you know, you empty out the contents of a Scrabble box. You can do that all day long, but there's no way they're going to fall on the floor and fall and form a sentence. Those mm. pieces of a Scrabble box. It's not going to happen. You can wait the age of the universe. It's still not going to happen. You know, so it's uh, when you have this kind of uh, information rich very specific sequence of three billion characters. It's basically a language, right? I mean, in terms of information theory, it is a language. Um, and it's written in a very specific way to sustain life. Um, and that information has to come from a mind. It has to come from somewhere. There's no way for it to form by chance. Uh, in fact, you can actually even crunch numbers on this. And, and uh, the, you know, the, the probability of even uh, one novel protein or gene uh, arising by chance, just by mutating, um, mutating this genetic information, um, it would take. You'd be waiting longer than the age of the universe for one new useful protein or gene to form by chance. Um, wow. And uh, you know, when you think about the rich tapestry and diversity and complexity of all life on Earth, and imagine the information involved there, it's it's absolutely you know incomprehensible to believe that that information can come from chance. Now, the, evol the evolutionary argument says, well, if you wait long enough, you know, if you wait long enough, anything can happen. But 
but that doesn't stand either. You know, in fact, there, there's a period in our history, there's a geological period in our history called the Cambrian explosion. And uh, 20 out of 26 of all of the animal phyla that exist today uh, arise in this very, very, very short burst called the Cambrian era, Cambrian explosion. Uh, so short in geological time. Uh, with no ancestors. So there's no, no ancestors to these fossils. So you just have a sudden abrupt explosion of most of the animal forms, most of the animal phyla that we see today in one geological instant of time. Okay, so it's not a matter of waiting long enough time. All of that genetic information came in a tiny, tiny short burst of geological time. Where does all that information come from? There's absolutely mm. a probability of that happening in such a short space of time by chance is essentially zero it's like it would be like it's something like uh, ex expecting uh, the contents of a bookshop to arise out of an explosion in a print in a printing press that, yeah. that's what we're talking about and imagine a print shop exploding all right so you yeah. have the raw material but by chance in that explosion <laughs> you get like thousands and thousands and thousands of volumes of works of art. That, that's, yeah. that's quite an accurate analogy. And even, even the most basic life forms, by the way, I'm not just talking about humans here. So, you, you know, if you want to say, oh yeah, but we started out with very, very simple life forms. You think about si simple one cell amoeba, like a single cell organism. You're talking about the information in, in that single cell is about equivalent to a thousand encyclopedias. A thousand wow. encyclopedias in terms of information. And you want that to arise by chance, just by shaking a Scrabble box over a long enough time. Forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. And Jack, obviously, this is a topic that's very important to a lot of people. And, you know, people might listen to this podcast and be like, oh, I'm forming an argument here. I can really go on the attack here or I can go on the defense here. Uh, what would you say to a person who's probably having those thoughts right now? Oh, here's my attack for those people who have been harassing me in school. And uh, how does apologetics and could you define apologetics fit into all of that? Yeah, I mean, look, I think the first thing to say is um, there's still New Testament and Old Testament study going on. So there's still biblical scholars going on. There's still evolutionary scientists doing their work day to day. So I suppose why I'm saying that up front is these are still things being worked out. And I mean, including the Bible as well, you know, in terms of interpretation, because this is obviously a work of ancient literature, which we're trying to interpret. And that isn't sidestepping the question, by the way. That's just to put into context that, one, we don't fully understand and grasp the Bible to its you know, true origins and meanings. And if we ever did, yeah. maybe, I don't know, if we could ever could, that's another que that's a philosophical question. And number two, evolutionary science and science in general is still going on. So... I would say to anyone formulating uh, a really powerful argument on the spot, um, it's probably unlikely that you have something that has never been thought of before. It's possible that you have thought of an argument that no one has thought of before you, but, but you probably haven't. So what I'd be saying is, as a Christian, like the stuff we've talked about already, right? Nothing, I would say, that has been discovered in science has totally uh, discredited Christianity. I wouldn't say it has even come close to that, including the theory of evolution or the, the origin of the universe. Because if it was that clear cut, I would say, you know, we'd all be one side of the fence or another. So that's just, just to take encouragement for that. Um, um, 
so if you're sitting at home, I think there's lots to look at. There's lots of resources. There's lots of theories out there. Um, in terms of evolution specifically, um, and actually, do you know what? Before I even launch into that, going back to your question about apologetics, I suppose what we're doing here is apologetics. So as Christians, we are giving a reasoned defense of our faith. So that, goes from, that comes from the Greek word apologia. So it's in uh, Peter 3.15, 1 Peter 3.15 in the Bible. Um, and it asks, for anyone that asks, uh, have an answer for the hope that's within you. But it also says mm. just before that, interestingly, which sometimes we forget, uh, in your hearts, revere Christ Jesus as Lord. So there's, that kind of points to it as well, you know, that there's a, uh, when you're doing these types of debates, actually, that's a, it really points to it. Actually, the Bible really kind of speaks to how we should do it. Um, revere Christ as Lord. You need to believe uh, and know who Jesus is before you go launching into, I think, any sort of barrage of arguments you might have for a, yeah. from a pro-God position. So apologetics really is giving a reasoned uh, defense of your faith. And that was the case for me too. You know, I actually became at a spiritual experience first, you know, that sort of way. So I kind of did revere Christ as my Lord first, you know, that sort of way. I had that experience. I was like, wow, God's real. And then after that, I think with my scientific education and stuff like that, then I began to add the kind of, you know, little bits to the, to the armor, you know, in, in my defense. So, um, yeah, that's what I would say as kind of to frame the whole thing. Um, then I suppose speaking specifically about the evolution question, um, I think Peter has really got at it there in terms of the, the information. That's a really big kind of open end in terms of how does this uh, information just pop in? It's almost like the universe all, uh, question all over again. You know, how did this just happen by chance? That kind of thing, you know? Um, mm. And the thing to say is, I think going back to my point about how scientists are still doing evolutionary science and Christians are still doing Old Testament studies and et cetera, et cetera. There is, um, there's, it's, they're more theological questions really as to whether Christianity and evolution co co kind of can cohabit. Um, but I think what this, the important point is whether the theory of evolution is completely right or it's not right at all. I think the mechanism by which we came about as humans doesn't take away the fact that there needs to be an agency or a person uh, or uh, sorry, an all create a powerful God who created us. If you know what I'm saying? So mechanism isn't as important as agency. That's what you might hear some Christian apologists saying. So agency is the big thing. Like what explains the reason for its existence in the first place that, that we would mm -hmm. put God in that box. That's actually more important than the mechanism, you know, that sort of way. So I think, I mean, I, like, like we said about the universe, I don't think the first few books in Genesis contradict um, the Big Bang Theory. Uh, there's actually verses in the Bible like Isaiah, it says the Lord stretches out the heavens. You know, there is inferences like that. Um, so, so I suppose, look, take courage for the fact that um, we, just from the discussions we've already had here, you know, that sort of way, that it's a very rational position to have as a Christian. I know I'm mm -hmm. kind of rambling a little bit, but the three kind of key arguments for me anyway, um, going, going into any conversation, if, uh, if I'm going into a conversation with someone who doesn't believe in God, the three reasons I usually give them is one, the creation, uh, of the universe, the cosmological argument. Number two, and nearly most importantly is the resurrection and ministry of Jesus Christ. You know, that sort of way that is nearly the most important, um, most important apologetic, um, 
really, because we have this amazing figure who appeared on Earth 2000 years ago, you know, that sort of way. And he's given us these amazing principles to live by. So does that kind of answer your question, Josh? I suppose. Yes, it's just, yeah, no, it's great. Yeah. Because yeah. I think it's really important that we don't approach this in an aggressive manner because we yeah. might lose the opportunity to actually witness as a Christian on behalf of Jesus. Because mm. sometimes our emotions can get in between us actually creating a connection with a person, which is obviously the most important thing, but also at the same not ignoring the fact that we can't be oblivious to the questions people have in the world so i think that's a great answer jack hmm. yeah can i just jump in on that josh actually so yeah of course i thought about this question a long long time ago and uh one one thing that i did in order to answer the question is i did a word study on uh truth the word truth and, and where it appears in the bible hmm. and uh what, what was really interesting is in I think it was something like, some, I can't remember the exact percentage, but it was something like half of the occasions of the word truth in the, in the Bible. It was also coupled to either the word grace or mercy. So wow. it, it didn't appear on its own that often. It was those truth and grace or truth and mercy. And, and that word study uh, led me to the conclusion that if you divorce truth from grace, what you get is self-righteousness. Yeah. So, and and that is really important to remember when you when you when you now obviously I I I tend to express my opinions on matters of apologetics quite strongly, but uh, I I don't I don't do it to um, exercise any kind of self righteousness. I'm just that's just a scientist in me who's trying to express things as clearly as I can. Yeah. Um. So I think it is really really important to remember that. You know, when you're when you're trying to express these ideas and these truths, that there is a heart and a soul that you're expressing it to, who is also made in the image of God, and and that person that you're speaking to, that's also somebody that Jesus died for, not just you. Yeah. And uh, you gotta you you can't you can't ever fall into the trap of divorce and truth from grace. That's a yeah. you're you're on a slippery slope there. Yeah, and I yeah. I I think I think it is actually probably one of the most important things to think about if you're if you're interested in this kind of area uh, like uh, apologetics you know it's i think i think i've learned as well being a scientist and a christian i've, I've begun to develop this uh, mindset that i might might have had in the past and maybe some christians have this idea that scientists are out to actively disprove god or you know our scientists are you know what I mean? Doing it purely to disprove God, you know, that sort of way. But I, I, I mm. actually see I've flipped that view. You know, I, I've totally flipped that view because I think a lot of people, everyone nearly, in fact, we're all human. We're trying to figure out the big questions of life, you know. So a scientist goes into his lab or a philosopher asks big questions, just trying to get answers, you know, that sort of way. That's the big yeah. thing because I am a scientist, you know, and I'm trying to get answers, you know, that sort of way. So I think it's something for the church to bear in mind as well. Scientists aren't necessarily out to attack God. Now, don't get me wrong. There's atheists and militant atheists who are scientists who use science to attack God. But what I'm saying is I don't think that's the genuine heart by a lot, uh, behind a lot of it. And in the same way, if you have a friend who's an atheist or a skeptic, I think you need to give them the grace, as Peter said, to have an opinion. And, you know, a big part of it is actually 
having that friendship or or kind of set, let, um, setting out the ground rules to say, are we both coming from a good place here? Are we both actually trying to get to mm. the truth here? You know, that's the big question, yeah. really. And um, I think, yeah, it's just something for the church and for your listeners and for myself and for Peter and, and for everyone to take forward. It's just kind of like that. If everyone here is looking to get to the truth, um, then we can have a great conversation. And we actually believe as Christians mm. that we are onto the truth in Jesus and in God, you know, that sort of way. So that, that's the kind of angle you take, that you actually believe you have the truth. You don't, you don't argue for the sake of arguing to get them on your side. You actually argue because you believe you have the truth and the truth that can set you free to, to quote the scripture directly. Exactly. You know, that sort of way. So yeah. I think, yeah, I think how you approach an argument or, or sorry, approach a discussion is actually a huge part of it. And I think that's why, I really do think that's why the first Peter says that you know, revere, revere Christ as Lord in your heart, you know, before it says, give a reason to vents for your faith. You know, that sort of way. I don't know what you think about that, yeah. Peter. Well, lads, we had to cut it short there, but don't worry. Part two of episode two of the Good News Guide will be coming to you very soon. Until then, stay up to date with us by following St. Mark's City Youth on Instagram or emailing youth at stmarks.ie. Until then, stay safe, stay encouraged, and have a great week. God bless.